0: Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.
1: I want to echo the offerings of Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers who are here in the room. I am so thankful for the godly women who are part of our church family here at Fairview Church. As we just saw that uh, commercial really for our upcoming women's conference, we're very excited about that and hope all of our ladies uh, will be there as well as inviting others in the community. But I'm just so thankful for the godly women that are here and are just the bedrock of Fairview Church. It's such a blessing for me, and I'm so thankful uh, just to be part of what God is doing. I know that the question they asked is one that all of us, in some way, have an answer to, or an experience, and that is when have you felt most alone? Think about that. When in your life have you felt most lonely, most alone, most isolated? I know for some people, Uh, Mother's Day is one of those difficult times and uh, that may be the case. And again, we recognize that, that there's different emotions that come up. Uh, It may be a certain season in your life as was shared by some of these ladies when you just experienced the uh, being isolated, being alone. But I want to encourage us this morning that Uh, In many ways, the scriptures speak to these moments, and Jesus, that we're going to see even in our passage this morning, cares about those who are isolated, who are marginalized. And we're continuing our Reframing Jesus sermon series going through the Gospel of John, and this morning, we are going to be looking at reframing dignity. And again, we're going to see the way that Jesus treats both An individual person and a collective group of people who have not experienced that dignity and the way that he treats them in a way that shows that they value, that they matter, uh, that they are known as our women's conference is titled. And so we're going to continue reading through John chapter four. I would ask if you would stand with me now in honor of reading God's word. We'll begin in verse 39 and read through 42. Now, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. So, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know. That this really is the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, this morning, we're going to continue this passage, and we are going to find first a shamed woman. Now, when it says this woman said when she testified, uh, we need to have the context. And if you were here last week, Elijah Hasi uh, preached through the beginning portion of this text. And so he explained who the Samaritan woman was, but maybe you were not here last week, uh, but just as a way of reminding you, uh, the woman that's being referenced is the woman who was at Jacob's well. In verse six, we read that Jesus worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon and a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Now this woman was coming to the well alone at the hottest part of the day. And those are two significant elements. First off, this was a communal culture. This was not like uh, a a lady today driving to Starbucks, uh, you know, to get a latte at noon. Uh, This is a massively uh, odd experience because of the communal culture. And everyone did everything together, specifically ladies going to water. This would have typically been something done in a group. And secondly, this would have been something that was done in cooler parts of the day but she's right in the heat of the noonday sun. And this is telling us that she is isolated, that that this is a woman who is disconnected from the community and that is is intentionally coming at a time when others would not be at the well to draw water. Uh, And we find out, as we saw last week, why she is coming alone at the hottest part of the day. And this is what Jesus points out when he says that she has had five husbands and the man she's now uh, with is not her husband. And we need to consider the cultural context and the historical context for her situation, what it is that Jesus is pointing out. Because this is not Jesus pointing out her sin as much as it is Jesus pointing out her shame. And not to say that this woman was without sin, but specifically in the culture that she lived in first century, uh, Middle Eastern Judean context, women could not divorce men. So there were no divorces that women instigated. Now, this is the reverse of this is what Jesus deals with in uh, his Sermon on the Mount. When men are unnecessarily dismissing wives, and this happened in the jewish culture and again jesus dealing with this because because women very much were property they were in many ways owned by their husbands and could divorce them at will for any number of reasons Uh, but but a woman had no ability and this wouldn't just have been in a jewish context but this entire uh, culture surrounding them Uh, secondly a woman who committed adultery would be stoned And this is the context for John chapter 8. And so we see when the woman is dragged before Jesus, uh, that is the expectation, she would be stoned. This is true, uh, and we'll we'll talk about Samaritans in just a moment, but for the Samaritans as well as for the Judeans, a woman who committed adultery on her husband would have been stoned uh, for sure if we're talking about a sequence of five times. So the fact that she's alive tells us a lot. And so what this is telling us is that there have been broken covenants that men have five times broken their covenant to her that she has been dismissed, that she has been disregarded. And there is a shame that has disconnected her from her community. And in light of this, there is this way that Jesus treats her that, that is incredibly significant he engages her in conversation. And we know that this would have been odd in this day and age for any man talking with any woman in public who was not their spouse. Uh, but the idea that this kind of a, this woman with this kind of a reputation uh, was engaged by Jesus, even asking for a drink of water, uh, all of the elements that are taking place here would have been extremely odd. But Jesus is treating her very differently than she has been treated. He is showing that she has dignity. He is showing that she has value. He is engaging her in a way that is very different than the sum of her shame and her reputation has been been treated in the past. So we find this woman, a shame woman, goes to a segregated people. And so in verse 39, it says that the the people were the Samaritans from that town. And once again, what are Samaritans? Well, we find a clue to the nature of what the Samaritans are. And specifically, in reference to the Judeans or the Jews, in verse 9, the woman says, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Why do Jews not associate with Samaritans? Well, the reason uh, goes back to the 8th century BC when the Assyrians conquered the northern northern kingdom of Israel. And they took all of the wealthy, all of the educated uh, individuals and and exiled them. And uh, this is very common in geopolitical warfare at the time. They brought in people from other nationalities to intermarry, and what this does in essence is it, it causes this this, uh, this lack of a unique culture and bloodline. You now have these intermarriages and these kind of mixed races that are resulting from this and so what happens now is they are no longer viewed as jews they 're Half-breeds, in many contexts, they're even more despised than Gentiles because of the nature of this. And so we hear this again throughout the New Testament, the fact that they're referred to as dogs and uh, just the way that the Jews saw them. Uh, We see that eventually Assyria gets captured. And so the way things come uh, through the Persians, they end up coming back into Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, the Judeans, the Jews. And in 520, Uh, BC, the Samaritans still identifying with the Judeans volunteer to help rebuild the temple. They want to be part of this effort, uh, but they are rejected. They are are seen as perpetually unclean. And so the Jews will not allow them to participate in rebuilding this temple. In fact, they're separated from the worship entirely, again, as those who, who are unclean. Um, And then they go, they set up their own temple at uh, Mount Gerizim. And then about 250 years later, uh, we have the high priest John Hyrcanus leads a, a mercenary army in and they destroy the Samaritan temple on Mount Gerizim. And so all of this is this massive history of of pride, of prejudice, of disconnection, of, of disdain and angst. And and obviously the Samaritans have their, their own issues, right? They have their own angst and, and the Jews do as well. So there is this massive segregation that takes place there. there There's very much this, this lack of dignity in the way that they are viewed. And this is where Jesus' words are so, um, so significant. In John four twenty two when he says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father once such people to worship him. What is Jesus saying? So salvation is from the Jews. This is absolutely true. We we have talked about this. The the scriptures and they are the people of God. They're in this covenant, and salvation is from the Jews. But what Jesus is leading to is it's not simply for the Jews. This salvation, this water of eternal life that Jesus has come to offer, is from the Jews, but it is. For all people. And this is very much what Jesus is coming to bring about. It says he's seeking the father. Think about this for those who have been disconnected from temple worship and disconnected uh, from, in many ways, the worship, these different temples and these different centers of worship have been what have disconnected these people. Uh, now the father is seeking worshipers And that worship, Jesus said, is not oriented around a place specifically. It's not tied to a temple. It's tied to what? Ultimately, it's tied to him, right? He's seeking those who will worship in spirit and in truth. He will become this temple. And we will see this. And and worship is offered by all people. The Father, in fact, is seeking people. Who will worship in, and that is aimed towards these Samaritans and towards um, ultimately the Gentiles beyond them eventually. So, so we find this. A woman goes to a segregated people to share about the Savior of the world. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ, and that's the, the, uh, the Greek uh, translation. When he comes, He will explain everything to us, Jesus told her. I, the one speaking to you, am he. Now, this is significant. So Samaritans believed and and followed the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew scriptures. And in many ways, their their ceremonies and customs overlapped with the Jewish people. Uh, Again, laws, there was a, a significant amount of overlap. And they were just like, the Judeans, the Jews, they were looking forward to a Messiah. They were looking forward to this promised Davidic King that would come uh, to rescue and to restore the people of God. And this is what this woman says. There's some, there's this uh, Messiah that's going to come and he's going to fix all these problems and he's going to unite and restore all that, you know, has has been destroyed. And, And Jesus, Says something very significant, and and this is where I think understanding the context of of this passage is so important. This is the first time Jesus reveals his identity as Messiah to anyone. So we think about that. The first time that Jesus reveals his true identity, that he is the Messiah, others have said it, but, but the first time that he himself discloses this is to. A Samaritan woman. This one who has been discarded. This one who has been marginalized. This one who represents a people who who in many ways are the enemies of the people of God. Is the one who Jesus reveals his true identity, his true position as. And by the way, what does Messiah mean? What's anointed king right? That he is this anointed king that God has promised will come. And she, we see the woman left her water jar, went into town and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? She goes to her people and announces this this identity announces Jesus that he has told her everything she ever did. And, and there's this question of, of, could this be the Messiah? But ultimately, this is what's going to lead these people, the Samaritans, to come to Jesus and to acknowledge that he is, in fact, the Messiah. So there are significant overlaps that scholars point out between this interaction with Jesus and the Samaritan woman taking the message of the truth about Jesus to a group of people And what happens with Mary Magdalene? So Mary Magdalene is a woman who has a terrible reputation, a terrible past in many ways, has has the, the significant shame that's tied with her. And she becomes a follower of Jesus. And very similarly, she is the first, so just as the Samaritan woman is the first person to have the identity of Jesus revealed to them, Mary Magdalene is the first person to... Experience what? The resurrection of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus appears to her, and he does what? He tells her to go and take this truth, and in John 2017, "But go to my brothers. And tell them that I'm ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. She delivers this word of the identity of the resurrected Jesus. And so there is a significant overlap that's taking place here. And there's a, if we think about the significance that, you know, this woman who becomes just this missionary to the samaritans and then and then the woman who announces the resurrection of jesus there's a tremendous amount of dignity that is being given and there's a the, the role right that jesus is giving to these these women is is incredibly significant and specifically they come the samaritans come to see that jesus is the savior of what of the jews He's the savior of what? The world, right? And this is the good news of the gospel. Jesus is the king. So the savior of the world was a title that had been used by Caesar Augustus to refer to his empire building. And just as people were called to say, Caesar is Lord, earlier followers of Jesus said, would announce Jesus is the Lord. He is this king. He is this one who is the true savior of the world, of all people. And this is going to be represented. And for the sake of time, I will condense all of this. This entire text, and Elijah mentions this last week, is really uh, tied with Genesis 29. And we see Jacob, and his name was eventually changed to what? Israel. And... We see in, in Jacob in in uh, Genesis twenty nine coming to get uh, a bride that he meets Rachel, and he does two things. What does she ask for? All right. So he he ultimately wa- provide he, this becomes his bride, and he also waters her what her flocks that are there. And it's by rolling away a stone that he waters her flocks. And this is what is happening. Jesus is coming to purify a bride for himself. And this bride is going to be made up of all people, right? Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans, people of all nations and ethnicities. And he is going to provide this water of life to feed his sheep. And this is a a term, his sheep are a reference to the church, right? The church is both the bride of Christ and we are his flock and he is the shepherd. And how is it that Jesus provides this water of life to his flock in Jesus 29? Well, it comes through rolling away the stone, just as Jacob rolls away the stone, when the resurrected Jesus rolls away the stone and the spirit is given to people again, who are both Gentile and Jew and ultimately the church people of all nations and races. And they are called to be those who express the kingdom, who live under the authority of Jesus as king, who demonstrate the life of within the kingdom. We see all people as having dignity, right? As those who are made in the image of God. The kingdom of God is a context where where just as Jesus expressed this value and this dignity and this love, uh, that, that we are to be those who do that. And we take the water of life, the forgiveness of sins, the purification and the cleansing that is available through the blood of Jesus and the new life, right? The resurrection life through the spirit that is available to all who will turn from their sin and trust in Jesus. Uh, this, is, this is the calling that we have to continue this work of the kingdom, And again, it goes to all people. And this is very much the work of the Pregnancy Care Center. The Pregnancy Care Center is very tied to expressing the reality of the dignity of all people, expressing the love of Christ, and uh, doing the work that Jesus has called us to do. And so I'm going to ask Lisa Cathcart uh, to come up now. And Lisa is the director of the Pregnancy Care Center, and in, based in Old Hickory, correct? And Lisa uh, is, is a friend, Jill My wife uh, was gonna have this conversation with Lisa and then we have a son who got sick in the middle of the night. So she's not here, but excited just to be able to talk with Lisa. So tell us just a little bit about yourself and kind of the work of the Pregnancy Care Center.
0: Well, first of all, thank you. Thank you for inviting me to be with you this morning. I've been looking forward to joining you for several weeks and it's been a tremendous blessing to worship with you. Um, I am the director at the Pregnancy Care Center. I've been there 13 years since the center opened. And our mission is to empower individuals to make life-affirming decisions through education, counseling, and compassionate care based on the ministry of Jesus Christ. Um, And just as you were describing earlier, the way that Jesus offered dignity to those who were on the margins, um, that is the model that we approach our work with. So when we think about Jesus' ministry and how he was approachable and how um, he ministered one-on-one affirming individuals' dignity and value when they felt uh, shame or on the fringes of society. That's the approach that we take. Uh, So in practical terms, what our work looks like is... Uh, free pregnancy tests and ultrasounds and pregnancy decision coaching for those who are facing an unintended pregnancy or a difficult pregnancy decision. Uh, we walk them through life-affirming options. We talk about parenting and adoption, and we provide uh, referrals for life-affirming community resources, and then we offer a relationship of ongoing support, often walking with folks for two years or more, uh, providing parenting classes for moms and dads, and material Assistance as well. Um, And then, in addition to those services, we also do a sexual risk avoidance program in the local public schools and we offer um, abortion recovery counseling for those who are dealing with uh, grief and shame and loss related to a past pregnancy decision. Uh, We know that there are no second class citizens in the kingdom of God, and so our work is really to be there before, during, and after an unplanned or difficult pregnancy. And our work is not a political one or a social one, um, but a spiritual one. And we see ourselves as uh, domestic missionaries with a very specialized focus.
1: That's great. So I know that we obviously planned for you to come here before uh, we had any idea of all that would come in the past week with uh, the Supreme Court and kind of the, the way that the potential decision was leaked, but just because you work directly in this world, how, how would a decision from the Supreme court to overturn Roe affect you in the nature of what you do?
0: Uh, yeah, very good question. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to talk about this because it's very important. Um, we've hoped and prayed for this type of a decision for a long time. And, um, and we're grateful to, to, think about this being a potential reality, but at the same time, we know that a change in the law does nothing to change the reasons why people would seek abortion or would feel that they couldn't continue their pregnancies, and so um, our work at the Pregnancy Center has always valued the woman and the child um, equally as image bearers, and I love the way you spoke about that so eloquently um, this morning, uh, really affirming the dignity of, of each one. And so, um, we know that whatever we do, um, impacts both, um, the woman and the child, and there's no way to bypass one and help the other. So we have always worked to, um, affirm the dignity and welfare of both. And so in, in that sense, our work continues much the same as it always has. Um, and we will continue our relational approach to ministry, to seek out, uh, those reasons that are causing someone to, uh, consider um, other alternatives to continuing their pregnancy. We'll continue to intentionally try to meet those needs and connect them with others who can help meet those needs as well. So our work at the Pregnancy Care Center and the work of centers all across the country and the work of the church um, in supporting women and families experiencing unintended pregnancy will continue, Um, it will increase, and it will be all the more important uh, when and and if this ruling comes to
1: pass. Hmm, That's great. So obviously working in this context and just kind of the nature of of our culture, what has been the impact just the last year, two years kind of on your work?
0: Um, It's been growing. We have just in the first quarter of this year experienced an 88% increase in the number of visits from the first quarter of last year. Um, right now, we average about 200 visits a month, and some of those are first-time initial visits with somebody who's coming and seeking help for their pregnancy decision, and some of those are the ongoing support, uh, relationship visits, mentoring, and, and classes that I mentioned earlier. Um, we've had over 900 visits already this year, and so we know that... Um, potentially we're only going to get even busier. And, um, and so we are just seeking, um, you know, God's provision for doing this work. And we have a wonderful team of staff and volunteers who are engaged in the front lines every day, uh, ministering in, in Jesus name. Um, we've already had, um, I think close to, uh, 70 babies born, um, just in the last few months. And we've seen, almost 800 over the course of our 13 year history uh, lives born to the women and families praise that we lord serve
1: that. That's incredible. praise god yeah praise the lord so with lebanon i know that i've kind of been on the inside of this can you share a little bit about the focus on having a center here and kind of where where you are all
0: uh, absolutely. And, and so as we continue to grow and we recognize that the need for the work that we do is increasing, um, we have for a long time been looking and praying um, for opportunities to expand our outreach. And for the past three years, we've really sensed that the Lord is leading us to expand our outreach into Wilson County and into Lebanon specifically. And about three years ago, um, Jill came to me along with some other women from the community and with very much the same heart for reaching those who are in this difficult place in life and wanting to come alongside and support them. And so, uh, since then we've worked together and we continue to see God opening doors. We continue to see confirmation that we are moving in the right direction uh, by wanting to establish uh, a presence here in Lebanon. And our goal is for our Pregnancy Center in Lebanon to be a medical Facility where we offer ultrasound on Site in addition to all of our other services God has already Provided a medical director for Us and a nurse manager And several volunteers from this Community are already being trained To serve and so right now we're just Praying for the right facility And Corey um, has Been helping us to secure that Location so we appreciate your prayers as We continue this journey but we hope to open this year we want to open as soon as possible and we're excited to see what god has in store um, for this presence here in lebanon thank you for listening to the fairview church podcast to find out more about our church please visit us online at www.myfairview.org